And I'm Kim. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of the Massive Fans Book Club Podcast. We recorded this episode a few days before I went into labor, and boy did we record. We ended up with enough content for this episode uh, that it really needs to get split into two. So you're getting a two-parter. Today's episode will cover chapters 39 to 41 of A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Mass. And next week, part two will cover chapters 42 and 43, also known as the turning point in this book where things get a little rated R. Because let's just say our favorite characters cannot keep their hands to themselves. <laughs> uh, but before we dive into these three chapters that lead us up to that, a quick reminder, this podcast is not for little ears. Not even a little bit, not at all. Nada, no little ears, none, none. And one more reminder, we want this podcast to reach everyone who loves these books. So if you could do us a favor and rate and review us on whatever platform you listen on, that will help us get our podcast out to our fellow survivors of mass destruction. And if you do rate and review, please let us know, either through a DM on Instagram or Facebook, or by using the contact us form on our website. The first 20 reviewers who let us know they did so will receive a special sticker from us. And with that, let's get started with episode 7, part 1. Chapter 39. Feyre is in Aaron's apartment, which is the top floor of a three-story building, and it's described as one giant open area with oak floors, worn carpets, Furniture that seems to be just like scattered about and moved on a whim, and Amron's large canopy bed against one wall. And apparently there's no kitchen. A large table to eat at, presumably, but no kitchen. Which honestly makes me beg the question, like, is there a bathroom? Because one is not mentioned. <laughs> well, one would assume there's some sort of a bathing room. Well, wouldn't you think? But it doesn't say there is. It just says it's one big room. And she doesn't say, like, oh, there's a big old tub over there in the corner. Anyway, what do we know? So there may or may not be a bathroom. The point oh, is, you know what? Does I don't know not if there is, based off of a previous conversation. Well, based off of a conversation that comes up later. What do I mean? Does Amron use a potty? Amron might not use a potty. We don't know. Um. <laughs> I think I. I don't know. But anyway, we get all that description over a couple of pages, but I just put it all at once to set a scene, and so we could ask about Amron's pottying habits. Um, <laughs> the chapter actually opens with Feyre asking Amron, do you think you can decode it once you get the other half, meaning the book? And Amron, who's seated on the floor with all her stuff scattered around her, tells her, it's been a long while since I used this language. I want to master it again before tackling the book. Hopefully by then, those haughty queens will have given us their share. And honestly, this seems like a shit show to me because I don't really see how Amron's going to like reteach herself a dead language that no one else knows in enough time to like stop high burns. So I don't, I mean, what the hell do I know? But this just seems like a shit plan. I agree. Like, I feel like there is no Duolingo for this language. Like, <laughs> There's no Rosetta Stone, is there? Right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I don't, um, 
yeah, I don't know. This just, whatever. What do I know? This just seems like this is already going poorly, if you ask me. <laughs> and Feyre must think like I do, because she's like, so how long is that going to take? <laughs> and Amber replies, didn't his darkness fill you in? Feyre's like, uh, no, he didn't. And we learn in her internal monologue that after that whole waking reach from his nightmare incident, um, we just wake up to one simple handwritten note that says, thank you for last night. And even though he didn't leave a pen for her to respond, she hunted one down, wrote him a little note, it disappeared. She asked about the star tattoos on his knees and what do they mean? Which is how we learned the fun little tidbit that Reese told her that they mean, quote, I will bow before no one and nothing but my crown. Just put that in your head for later. Just, just for later. <laughs> Kind of important. Put that pin in it. It's, it's and, big, yeah. And Feyre, at a loss for what else to say, just calls him dramatic, and then hears him laughing down the bond. All that is cute and all, but mostly irrelevant to the current happenings, which is Feyre is still at Amron's place, handing over a fresh pint of lamb blood from the butcher to Amron, who is thrilled. Side note, Feyre does ask Amron if she has a favorite blood, and it is indeed lamb. And Feyre, who can't help herself, is like, oh, not human? <laughs> And Amron's Sweeney Todd response is classic. Watery. <laughs> often tastes like what they last ate. <laughs> okay, Sweeney. Mm. <laughs> After a little bit more small talk about the size of Amron's apartment being smaller and less ornate than Feyre expected, Amron asks Feyre why she's really here, which is like fair. Like, what, what are, thanks for the blood, but what the hell are you doing here? And Feyre basically says, Why are you bugging me? Right, right, like, what you doing in my house? And Feyre basically says that Cassian mentioned Amron was holed up with the book, and she thought that she might be hungry, and admits that they just, like, all kind of wanted someone to check on her, because they're family, and they care. And Amron's kind of like, bleh. <laughs> but uh, Feyre notes that Amron still seems secretly pleased that they were all thinking of her. Yes. And during this exchange, Feyre sees that Reese did give Amron her blood ruby, and she's currently using it as a paperweight. <laughs> Which just cracks me up. She has so much regard for it, it's a paperweight. <laughs> yeah, she's like, great, I needed one of these. <laughs> yeah, F you. <laughs> Here you go, click. Exactly. And Feyre inquires, like, asking if Reese convinced her to not destroy Adriata over it, and Amron calls it like it is and is like, he did no such thing. That convinced me to destroy, not to destroy Adriata. And she points to a diamond and ruby necklace that Feyre recognizes from Tarquin's trove. <laughs> turns, turns out Varian sent her the piece to soften the blow of the blood ruby. As Amron puts it, the prick can't decide if he hates me or wants me. <laughs> well, I think we know what was going on in Adriata between those two. Right? And Feyre's response is perfect when, you know, because Amber says, well, he can't decide if he hates me or wants me. And Feyre says, why can't it be both? <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. And Feyre, dear, we understand. We really do. <laughs> Yes. Yes, we do. Oh, do we? We get a snowflakey deal. And we are informed that we have been waiting on a response from the mortal queens for weeks. Weeks, my dudes. Weeks. Weeks. <laughs> and Again, weird time lapse. But the, in this case, I have to give them credit. The snowflakey makes sense. 
Yes, and they do kind of explain it. So in this time, Amarin's been relearning that dead language and Favor has been training with Cassian in the mornings and Reese in the afternoons. And Moore has been apparently playing dietitian and telling Favor what she should eat to gain back the weight she lost while on the spring court and how to build more muscle. And Az has been working his ass off trying to infiltrate all of the courts to try to make sense of the whole like Highburn who might side with who type deal. But apparently that's been pretty fruitless. <laughs> so poor dude. Poor Az. Apparently, during these weeks, Cassian has tried to teach Pharaoh to use an Illyrian blade, and it almost ended in him getting his arm cut off, so she's not really <laughs> trying that anymore. <laughs> and Reese has been working with her on all her powery stuff, but she hasn't successfully winnowed since that day in the snow, and they just don't talk about that shape-shifting talent claw bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, you know. We don't, we don't talk about that. Um, at some point in this passage of time, Feyre got one day off from training with Cassian when he went to visit the mortal realm to check on her sisters and have them deliver another letter from Reese to the Queens. And I guess we all wish we could have been a fly on the wall because apparently Cassian came back from that visit all bent out of shape about something Nesta said. And we don't know what she said, but we know that when he was asked about it, Cassian just told Feyre that her family was full of, quote, bossy know-it-all females. <laughs> Okay, sidebar really quick before you go too far. If you are a fan of Sarah J. Mass, you will suddenly have come to realize she puts out multiple versions of her books. And in different versions, you will have extra chapters that explain things. And one of the extra chapters for this book is about his visit. With Guys, I didn't know this. This is news to me. <laughs> Yes. What? You mean I gotta go on the internets and find this? Guys, we all have to go on the internets and find this. <laughs> oh, we might be doing a special bonus episode one day of just all of the random ass chapters that live out in the world. <laughs> I, I, I really didn't figure this out until Frost and Starlight, but I don't think she released any special editions of Frost and Starlight. I have to go back and look. But um, because I had gotten the other three so far after the fact that they've been published that, you know, what did I know? But yeah, apparently um, Sarah J. Mass is notorious for putting out multiple editions of her books. Like her latest one, A Court of Silver Flames, oh, yeah. had actually three versions come out. And depending on which version you got, depended on if you got one of the extra chapters and if you did, which chapter did you get? Did you get the recent favorite chapter or did you get the Azrael chapter? And for the hardcore fans who have read this far, who have read that far, you know exactly the bit I'm talking about and all the brouhaha around it. I'm not giving out any details. I'm just telling you it's there. And yeah. So anyway, I but knew one she of the did it for that book. I didn't know that it happened with others. Dang. Yeah. In this book, there are, extra bonus chapters out there and one of them is about a visit that that it's about this visit that he had with nesta and what happened oh, man, which man. i'm not gonna lie I'm, I'm not gonna lie and tell you it's kind of not making me a little salty because i haven't ever read it i just know about it and i know about some of the things that happen because of conversations that i've read 
elsewhere on the internet for us somebody find it for me i mean i guess i can go google it myself but dude just- i need to find it and read it but anyway it explains <laughs> it sets things up and explains a lot coming forward you know especially that for makes frost silver, and, i would say that makes a lot of things silver flames a lot more sense. <laughs> so sarah it's not that we don't love you we do we really do but really you make wow, my that life so hard. That one part of ACA War that I didn't really understand. I mean, I did understand it, but I didn't understand it the first time I read it. Now it makes a lot more sense. Anyway, okay, guys, so we all have to go do our research. Go find that chapter. Um. <laughs> and if you know of any for ACA War, go ahead and just email us and tell us yes. because I'll just go try and hunt them down because this is crazy. I'm just like, seriously? Bananas. Seriously. Bananas. Okay, well, anyway, that's a fun fact. What the hell? I had no idea. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, there's there's a an extra bonus chapter in some of the books that is this visit. Wild. Well, anyway, that's hilarious. So yeah, uh, when she's not training Random with Cassian, tidbits. <laughs> she's not training with Cassian. She trains with Reese, who also apparently teaches her about like the different courts and their high lords and the politics and the histories. And like we said, we talk about everything except shape-shifting and anything Tam-related. <laughs> and that's okay. Well, do you blame her? Yeah, probably best for now. I don't blame her. Do you blame her? I mean, no. But I'm just saying it's a little awkward because I feel like at some point we're going to need to broach the subject. Oh, well. Basically, a few weeks pass and winter starts to come to an end. And Feyre notes that she mostly enjoys the days and all the training. And it all, like, tires her out enough that she doesn't, I mean, she still has her nightmares. But they don't, like, she's got them under control. They're not, like, mm-hmm. running her ragged anymore. And she even admits that on the occasions when Reese is out for the afternoon and she doesn't get to train with him, she's a little disappointed. <laughs> because she likes their training. Mm-hmm. And thoroughly enjoys bantering with him. But apparently, even when he's away, he makes sure to write her notes, which I think is adorable. And it's so it's, cute. And it's not all flirty flirty, though. I mean, I'm sure there is some flirty flirty. But apparently, he also just, like, fills her in on what he's doing and what's going on. And they talk about other stuff. Like, one day, he asks her about her painting. And she explains that there was a time when all she wanted was enough money to keep her family fed so that she could paint. And she says, yep. that's all I wanted ever. And he asks her, and now? And she admits, now I don't know what I want. I can't paint anymore. And he asks her why. And so she writes to him, point blank, because that part of me is empty. And, like, that's a real downer. But then she asks him if he always wanted to be a high lord. And he writes a rather lengthy response that basically says yes and no. Yes, because he knew he wanted to, like, like what he wanted to do as a ruler. But no, he didn't want to be like his father. And... Part of what he says that stands out is, I decided to be a different sort of high lord. I wanted to protect my people, change the perceptions of of the Illyrians, and eliminate the corruption that plagued the land. And Farrah notes how not a Tamlin response this is. (laughs) Because remember, Tamlin didn't want to be a high lord, and in all fairness, she does point out that maybe that was some of the problem. Maybe that was part of why the court had become what it was, she thinks. And Rhysand, with a vision, with the will and desire and passion to do it, he'd built something. And I think in this conversation, though she already knew it, it really cements for her, like, the respect she has for him as a High Lord. And I just love that for them. Yeah, it's so sweet. It really is. 
And so she writes back to him, at least you make up for your shameless flirting by being one hell of a high lord. <laughs> and apparently he comes in later that day, like all smiles and addresses her by being like, one hell of a high lord, she said. <laughs> no, I love that. Every time I read it, I just crack up. I'm just like, I can so see that. But this girl, using her powers, douses him with a bucket of water, like, calm down, Mr. <laughs> Which apparently just cracks him up, and instead of, like, drying off or getting mad, he, like, chases after her and shakes his head on her like a wet dog to spray her, and I just, again, I love this for them. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's such a cute, fun way of flirting. It's not seductive flirting. It's right. It's fun flirting, and I, I love it. it it's yeah, just fun because it reminds me that, like, yeah, they get, like, flirty, flirty, whatever, but, like... Like, they just enjoy each other's company. You know what I mean? And, like, she's just enjoying being there, which is nice because that was, like, so not the case. Like, even at the height of her and Tamlin, like, being, like, you know, whatever they were. In Louvre. Right, yeah. Like, even when they were, like, you know, doing it like rabbits and, like, whatever. Like, she still didn't enjoy being in the spring court. Like, they didn't really ever, like, enjoy each other's company, I don't feel like, except for, like, that one she time never, they, like, went to the fucking Glen. Like, <laughs> she never really had fun. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They never, they never, they never played, and I don't mean right. that in any way other than genuinely play. Like, I mean, you and I joke about this, but you and I both, we still find a way to play, whether it's with us crafting or... Right. You know, we find something that that's playful for us right. to do, whether it's doing something for a show or doing a craft or, you know, whether I'm painting or, or baking even. Can right, be playful. right, right. But yeah, I mean, she never did anything like that at all yeah, in the spring court. She had ever. some of her painting, but even that she felt too stressed out to show anybody for the longest time. So it wasn't the same. Right, right. Like, now she has these people, because she does this a little bit, like, she mostly plays with Reese, but, like, she she plays with all of them a little bit. Like, she and Cassian seem to have a good time, like, when they're, you know, training and stuff like that, and we definitely know she likes to hang out with more, so, yeah. Well, and the thing is, you know, I've been thinking about this lately, like, I have those friends in my life that I don't think anything of, and I I'm not interested in them that way in any way, shape, or form, but I right. flirt with them. But kind of like in a, it's just fun. Like I, right, I can kick right. back and have fun. Like, I mean, in not that we don't need to be more aware of, of inappropriateness on all levels, you still need to be able to, to have some fun. And I think in some ways in today's society, I feel like sometimes we've almost gone too far in the other direction. Yeah, it's like you have to have those friends that you can say the outrageous, hilarious thing to, and they know you're doing it because it's outrageous and hilarious and that they'll appreciate it. Anyways, after, like, however much time has passed, a few weeks as winter is gone, and, you know, that's all we know. We know, like, time be rolling. So (laughs) the queens have finally responded, and they're going to all meet at the sister's estate the next day. So, like, we can't hear from them for weeks, and now suddenly we got to meet tomorrow. <laughs> but anyway, 
we get a snowflakey deal and now we're at the Archeron estate and the sisters are dressed to impress. And Cassian and Azriel are in their fighting leathers with their siphons per usual and Moore is in like this red gown like she do. And Feyre is in a white <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's I like, like the red gown as she do. As she do. Um, because that's the thing, like we always describe what Moore is wearing, but like it's pretty much always the same thing. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so she wearing that red dress, or one of her many, I guess. I just, like, envision her closet being, like, a bunch of red dresses that are, like, slightly different. Well, she has other colors, but primarily red, yes. Mostly red. <laughs> uh, and Feyre is wearing a white gown with gold accents and a style typical of the night court. So, like, we assume, like, that's all it says is, like, typical of the night court or something. So it says, so, I mean, like, it's got to be, like, flowy and, you know, we assume somewhat revealing, you know, because that's what mm -hmm. we do. And uh, the whole point of this conversation about what people are wearing is basically so that we can point out that she's wearing a gold diadem that, weirdly enough, apparently matches the dark metal crown atop Reese's head. Just, hmm. just throwing that out there. <laughs> Do with that what you will. Anyways, everyone is dressed up and waiting for the queens who apparently made like two sort of specific requests about the meeting. One, it's to be at 11 o'clock and not before and not after. And they needed basically a schematic drawing of the Archeron estate <laughs> and like to know which room they were going to be in, which. That's like kind of weird. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's like weirdly weird. specific. <laughs> but Azriel actually made that happen. I mean, he's good at his job. Uh, he made that happen. I, have a question. I do have a question though. Yeah. That this occurs to me. Like, so they had these specific requests, and mm -hmm. we know it all happened really fast. Oh, yeah. How the hell are they getting the messages back and forth that fast? Okay, I don't know, and I also don't really understand how you can be like, I'm not going to respond for weeks, and now I want to meet you tomorrow, and I want a very specific, very specific schematic drawing of your house. <laughs> like, exactly. I mean, that's my point. Like, it's... Yeah. Huh? I don't know, but all I know is that Asriel, at some point between finding out that they're going to meet with the queens and like this moment, uh, Asriel went and met with the sisters and they made a drawing of the house happen. And I, I have no idea how. And they let the queens know what room they're going to be in, you know, per. I know. Per it's just weird. That's all I got to no, no, say. totally like, weird. That, it's like email? Like, how did they do it? Oh, I know. <laughs> Text That's messages. all I don't understand. <laughs> no, I have no idea. Uh, and clearly, nobody really understands how this all went down because essentially um, everyone's standing around just talking about how this is kind of stupid. <laughs> like, everybody's just standing there staring at each other like, mm-hmm, so 11 o'clock. Did you get on that drawing? Yeah, I did, boss. Okay. Okie dokie. Uh, and so they're standing around thinking this is kind of stupid. That is until it all suddenly makes sense because the queens suddenly winnow into the room and at the end of the chapter <laughs> what? I didn't, yeah i didn't know they could winnow and that i think tells you like about how this conversation is about to go down it seems to me like there's a lot of information that we as readers were not prepared for like i just thought these were like some no you know human queens who are gonna like you know show up and knock on the door so the fact that these are some human queens that can winnow Mm, yeah, my I got a little like flags going off that this is not going to be pretty. Well, you know, it just it it makes you have so many questions, and I know I'm not going to bring up all these questions, but because of 
the fact that we just ended the chapter before I go into mine. Right, right. Some of so it will get cleared questions. up. Yeah, some of it gets cleared up, but like not really. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, take it away. So here we go. Chapter 40. So as Kelsey just said, they the, the queens have windowed in. And for each queen, there are two guards that come. And it's only five queens. Now there are six, and I will get there. But just know that there are only five queens in this this time, so there isn't a load of people. <laughs> there's a ton of people in this room, so winnowed in a friggin' army. Like what the fuck? So the 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 queens the queens and their guards are fifteen plus Reese, Feyre, Moore, As, Cass, Elaine, and Nesta. It's a house full. But what I love is how chapter 40 opens because it opens of a description of all the different queens. And I love it because there's a diversity in always age, style, hair colors, skin color, uh, which I find very interesting that, that we literally run the full gamut and it, it, kind of makes me kind of happy to see that because I'm just like oh that's kind of cool you know and she talks about the more beautiful queen again and she talks about you know how she has this blonde curly hair like more and <laughs> but she calls her a lion she calls her a lion in human flesh and I, I have to admit I always find favorite's descriptions so interesting because she brings them up and she she talks about it and, and you can tell she's looking at it with an artist's eye and I just find it so cool so Reese opens the conversation, you know, it's, they talk about the fact that the, the room was enormous enough that one nod from the Golden Queen had the guards all peeling to hold their positions by the walls and the doors. Um, so I just thought that was really interesting. Um, so Reese comes forward, he goes to introduce himself. Apparently they all were a little freaked out by him uh, and they're, they're kind of scared and Feyre makes a comment, and I think it's funny. She's like, their guards casually, perhaps foolishly, rested a hand on the hilt of their broadswords, so large and clunky compared to Illyrian blades, as if they stood a chance against any of us, myself included. Anyway, they do their little introductory, and she's like, they do ask, where, where's, the other, where's the other queen, the last queen, the sixth one? And the ancient queen says she's unwell and could not make the journey. Okay, I find that odd, but okay. Anyway, she the, the this older queen acknowledges that Pharaoh must be the emissary, yada yada yada. I'm not gonna go into a lot of detail, people. These are chapters you can read them. I'm gonna give you the high brush strokes here. There's not like a lot of information actually like gleaned from it. It's a lot of just like kind of a like well played chess match where it's yeah. like I say a thing and you say a thing and then I say an insulting thing and then you insult me back, but we're kind of not getting anywhere. <laughs> right. I mean there's no like, there's no plot information coming out. What you're doing, yeah. what it is is it's character information. You're learning about who these people are. Um Yes, however, even though you're learning about the Queens, it's Yeah. Again, you could like mostly do without the information. <laughs> Like if somebody like stole your book, ripped these chapters out, and just explained it to you briefly, you'd be able to read the rest and carry on with your life just fine. I promise. Yeah, it's it, I don't know. It's cool. I I it so 
y'all need to just read the chapter because I'm not going to go into the to the nuts and bolts here. Okay, I'll give you I'll give y'all the the cliff's notes. Okay. Um, so anyway, they do their introductions, and Reese introduces more. And I love this because remember, y'all, more more said she would not come to the meeting until she would not come back until they had the meeting with the queens. And one of the queens is like Morgan, the Morgan from the war. And then they all kind of went into this like, oh crap kind of response, you know, awe and fear. Which just makes me giggle because for whatever the reason, apparently Morgan was terrible enough in whatever got passed down to instill the fear of her into them. More than 500 years later. Morgan's the one who gets them to sit. And she's like, you know, sit. They finally all sit. And then they make, the one makes a comment about favorite sisters saying these must be our hosts. And she's not very nice about it. In fact, she's downright bitchy and it's the golden haired one. This, the, this young blonde queen looks at, at her and I, I want to read this little section because it's kind of cool. It says, Amber eyes slid to me, to my crown. Then Reese's, an emissary wears a golden crown. Is that a tradition in Prithian? No, Rhysand said smoothly, but she certainly looks good enough in one that I can't resist. The Golden Queen didn't smile as she mused. A human turned into a high fay, and who is now standing beside a high lord at the place of honor. Interesting. And it does open up a lot of questions. Well, I just love that... <laughs> She's just kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to say like brazen about it because like I feel like any of us would be like, wait, what? <laughs> but I just feel like we've just been rolling with it. I feel like, like you said, like she's worn a crown before. We just didn't ask. It's yeah. fine. And I feel like more and Cassie and Az are just like, we're not dumb enough to ask. <laughs> just do what you do. You know what I mean? So it's just like kind of funny to me that it's like, we're all sitting here and one of the queens is like, Yo, your power structure, no sense. Makes no sense. <laughs> like, who are you people? <laughs> like, what is your deal? <laughs> well, and the fact that she's like standing, what I find interesting is she talks about it, that favor standing in place of honor next to him. I mean. Well, right. I mean, right. I mean. <laughs> Like I said, it's basically like nobody else has questioned it. We've just been like, the inner circle is what the inner circle is. And these people are to Reese what they are to Reese. And we're not going to ask questions. And everybody in Valaris is like, this is fine. And then finally this queen's like, yo, I don't understand. She's an emissary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got it. She's wearing a crown. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Is she with the high Lord or not? <laughs> like I, um, I'm confused. <laughs> and it's just like, Fair. bitch, we all are. <laughs> yeah. Join, join the party, girlfriend. Because, you know, if we think about it, even going back to when she was working for Reese under the mountain, after the bargain got struck. Right. The Noala and Keridan, when they dressed her up, she always had like a diadem or something in her hair. Right. And so that's my, what I mean. Like, 
And it was always a power play. Like, even under the mm-hmm. mountain, it was a power play of, like, look, she's with me, back up, right? So, like, we know that this is a visual thing, like, he's doing with her on purpose. But, like, it's not until somebody calls you out on it and is like, cool, but what's it mean, though? <laughs> and you don't get an answer, which is the best part. Yeah, like, I just, I'm like, wow, at least somebody finally said it. Because Reese's response is, oh, because she looks pretty, basically. I mean, that's kind of his attitude. And I'm just like, okay. Which is like, fine, okay. Whatever. All right, Reese. Just, okay. So the the old crotchety, snarky, bitchy one of the queens is like, you have an hour. What do you want? (laughs) Basically. My good God. And so... Favor steps forward and she's talking to them and she's like, look, war is coming. We called you here to warn you and to ask for a boon. And this older woman was like, because Favor in her internal monologue says, there would be no tricks, no stealing, no seduction. Reese could not even risk looking inside their heads for fear of triggering the inherent wards around the book and destroying it. So like, this is kind of crazy you know and the oldest queen is like yes we know war is coming we've been preparing for it whatever like this is not anything new which then makes me wonder wtf and you know she's like but the humans in this territory seem to be unaware of it and have no way to prepare what are you what are you doing to help them, what are you going to do? Are you going to send forces over? Are you going to send them ships? Are you going to give them a way to escape? And their response is, well, you know, this is just a little bit of land compared to what we have on the continent. It doesn't really matter. And Reese and Fair bring up, you know, but life is still life. Isn't a loss of any life a terrible thing? And they're like, well, yes, it is a horror, but... If we have to sacrifice this little small sliver of human land to save the greater lands on the continent, so be it. And I kind of admit it's kind of a callous and bitchy thing to say. I'm not saying that it isn't, from a battle strategy point, a bad way of looking at it. But at the same time, it's really bitchy. I mean, as a queen, you would think that, yes, they don't have a queen or a high lord or anything on the bottom island of Prithian where the humans live, but at the same time, I mean, these queens should have some level of responsibility towards them, I would think. And I do find it hard. It's it's a weird thing because, again, it's like, like everything the queens say, it's like, I'm not even saying necessarily that I disagree with you, I disagree with your delivery. Like, why you gotta be a bitch about it, though? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there are nicer ways to handle this. Exactly. What's your problem? And what, I think what that's what anybody I'm... A- and that's the thing I kind of want to ask is like, what the hell has anybody asked of any of them for ages? Right. Nothing. Nobody has asked you Nothing. back shit. So like, showing up to this meeting and being halfway decent shouldn't have been that hard. I agree. They're total bitches can't lie you know that i don't know why that made me so mad but it did (laughs) no it's okay it it pisses me off too 
Apparently, Nesta gets pissed off, jumps into the fray. Maybe Go this Nesta. Is, maybe this is why I like Nesta. Maybe because even though she's got her own fucking demons and her own bullshit, I just appreciate that she too is like, bitch, what? <laughs> Pretty much. And, you know, I really like her in this bit because she does. She steps up for the people you know the humans that that are there and i'm like you go girl you tell them and she does and it, not very short words about it either and she it, it about erupts into all out verbal warfare and Farah steps in gets nesta to get quiet and Farah's asking you know for as much as you all hate us meaning the fae why should we, the Fae, defend these humans? And then the golden-haired queen responds, and, and I think it's just interesting. She's like, shouldn't they? Shouldn't they defend against a threat of their own making? Should Fae blood not be spilled for their crimes over the years? And I'm just like, mm, The logic mm. here sucks. Because it's not just their making. And regardless, I don't, like, again, I make these references sometimes. And I'm like, I understand this isn't really how history works, but it is kind of how history works. This, to me, is the equivalent of just being like, yeah, well, you know, really sucks that Germany let Hitler be a thing. Sucks for them. Uh, Hitler's on his way here to fuck with us, but... I think I think only Germans should have to worry about it. <laughs> and it's like, um, still gonna fuck your shit up, dude. Like, that that's not how this exactly. is gonna play out. Like, I don't know why no. you think that's how this is gonna play out. Like, I, I don't, I really don't. <laughs> and to me, it's the it's, same thing. It's like, why do you think that this is not going to be a problem for you? Well, exactly. And I mean, the thing is, is for me, it's like, it, it just kind of makes me scratch my head. It really does. I'm like, I don't understand your logic. It's just backwards. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't even understand. <laughs> I don't even understand what she's talking about. Like, oh, like of your own making. Who the fuck asked for that? Yeah. Nobody asked for that. Nobody in this room is holding up their hands going, ooh, 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 me, 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 me. Like, I don't understand. And also, what makes her think she's like, should Faye blood not be spilled? I think we're pretty much telling you that there's going to be blood everywhere, ma'am. <laughs> like, yep. I think we are literally trying to explain that to you right now, that there is already, as we speak, Faye blood that has been spilled on behalf of this asshat. Yeah. Because Farrah did it. Right. Like, I think you're missing the point, queenie weenies. <laughs> like, I just... Well, exactly. <sighs> totally bitchy. And I give, I give Reese credit because Reese acknowledges, you know, he's like, look, neither side is innocent. But we might protect those who are together. So, you know, Reese gets props because for as much as... Uh, schemer that he can be and i don't mean that in a bad way but as we all know and have said before reese always has a plan that you know he's like look we're going to share the blame of the, the burden of blame here because it's really on both sides 
And, you know, you would think that that would at least mollify these women to some degree, and it doesn't. Like, they're just total, like, bitches about it. And they're very snarky to him about about why should they even bother, and they talk about him, and they know about his powers, they know that he's a daimani, they know that what he can do to the mind, you know, they, they know of his reputation. I just find it very interesting, because they do throw that back in his face. And this, of course, pisses Farah off. And she can, in her blood, as she says, she can literally feel her wrath just like simmering in her blood which all right we know we know that when she can get pissed off she can leave burned handprints on wood tables so i'm a little worried that she's she's getting upset because that probably isn't a good sign we're really not trying to have indoor fireworks <laughs> yeah no that would be so bad and you know she finally was able to to kind of cool it down and get it back under control and she's like, you know, if you're not going to send forces here to defend you people, then the artifact that we requested, and she's, she's starting to get a little bit more forward. And I'm like, good for her, because sometimes Favor is not always the most assertive person. Well, so I respect this. Favor falls into that category, and I forget what this is called, but I see memes about it all the time, and it's me to a T, which is... Sometimes you have people who are really good at like standing up for other people but can't stand up for themselves to save their lives. Like I saw a meme that was like, if my friend wants ketchup with their fries and is too afraid to ask, I will ask the waitress for ketchup for my friend, but I won't ask for ketchup for me. <laughs> yeah, count me in on that. I'm right there. Is doing here. She's getting pissed off. She's like, so you're just telling my sisters, fuck them. You're just saying to Reese that he's an asshole. I don't like either of those statements, so fuck you, bitch. <laughs> like, like, you can come for me and I'm just gonna sit here. But <laughs> come after my friends and I will eat you. <laughs> Pretty much. I, I do find that interesting, but I that's a good analogy. I hadn't even thought of that. But yeah, as soon as you say that, I can totally see that because that's how I can be. So I get that. And, and it just, uh, it pisses me off because then they start to patronize her. And Reese calls her out on that and says, don't you dare, you know, talk down her and consent to her. You know, don't insult her for speaking from, you know, her heart and, and doing her best. And the older queen starts to get really snarky again and she's like we're gonna weather this like we have everything else yada 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 and she starts going off in a huff and which again more. is like weather what you old bitch like what do you know <laughs> like if you literally like i just again this is like what i argued before even like with tamlin sometimes in conversations with like other people it's like do you people forget that you're like in the presence of a high lord who could just like poof this whole room out of existence. And he's trying to tell you that there is something so bad that him and a bunch of people like him cannot win. And you're like, yeah. I'm sure I'll be fine. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Like, are yeah, you they stupid? Take... They are. 
I mean, they totally are. And so, anyway, more finally jumps in and she interrupts. And she's, she looks all these queens in the eye. And she says, I am the Morgan. You know me, what I am. You know that my gift is truth. So you will hear my words now and know them as truth, as your ancestors did. Hey, Kim, is there a chapter out there in the universe that explains to us why this is a thing? What do you mean? I mean, I noticed this the first time I read it, and then I've noticed it now the second time I read it. We don't really get any explanation of what the hell Moore just said. <laughs> we just take it for face value. She's just like, I'm a truth teller. And we're like, oh, that's good. <laughs> we get an awful lot of backstory for a lot of things that never come back. But this I could have used a little more information about. <laughs> So is there a chapter floating out in the ether that explains this to me? To my knowledge, now, I could, I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, I have never seen or heard of a chapter that would explain this. My guess... Do so think that got edited out at some point? <laughs> either that happened, or here's my other guess, is that it's going to come out in another book that's about more. And that's, and that's kind of what I was assuming is the problem, but I just... Like I said, I'm not the first one to notice this. Uh, you and I have listened to a couple of podcasts that do just like one episode on the whole book or whatever, or, you know, maybe one or two episodes on the whole book. And I specifically remember one of the ones I listened to and a, and a blog I read, both saying the same thing where everybody was like, nobody mentions anything about more being a truth teller, like at all. And then all of a sudden she shows up to this and she's just like, I'm the truth teller. And what I'm about to tell you is the truth. And we're all just like, oh, okay, sit down and hear the truth. <laughs> and it's like, why? Why do we believe her? Like, what does that even mean? What are your qualifications? Right. So, yeah, I just wanted to ask. I was like, hmm, since I didn't know there were other chapters out in the universe, maybe I didn't know about that one. <laughs> okay. So this is, this is a definition of it from a Celtic standpoint, so maybe this will help. A little because she does reference from the war the morrigan is a celtic goddess associated with war and battle as well as the sovereignty of the land and the rightful kingship in some neo-pagan traditions she is portrayed as a destroyer representing the crone aspect of the maiden mother crone cycle but this is also a departure from her original irish story yeah i don't really feel like that cleared much up for me <laughs> I mean, like I said, it does in the sense that, like, I guess, I guess we're just supposed to, like, accept that as it is. Like, oh, she's the Morgan, and the Morgan is always the truth teller. Okay, fine. You know what I mean? Like, I guess. I mean, I guess what I, what, here's the part that, that, and this is one place where I do struggle a little with it, because even in the, the Arthur Chronicles, Morgan becomes Morgan Le Fay. Right. And that ties in so much more closely to what these descriptions are like all right i'm i'm looking at a druidry website right. right now about druidism and it says the irish morgan goddess of death and guardian of the dead right right okay start right there goddess of death and guardian of the dead like it's kind yeah. of like she's she's well 
you know who she is? She's kind of like, she's kind of like um, a female Hades. Oh, shoot. No. Mm-mm. Oh, Thanatos. That's who it is. Yes. She's like <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't remember what that, yeah. Okay, there we go. Thanatos. I was like, hold on. She was, Than- she's, she's, she's Thanatos. Yeah. she's the the, okay. the celtic version of thanatos and she's a female because she is the transporter between life and death yes a goddess of birth and a goddess of death in that she moved the soul through these cycles great but none of that has to do with telling the truth <laughs> so they also see her okay hold on they they see her guys we are down a rabbit hole <laughs> we are down a rabbit hole but you know what people these are good rabbit holes to go down because it These does are, help. This is, this is what Kim and I do, guys. <laughs> Usually we look these things up ahead of time and then we just inform you on the podcast. Today we are taking you down the rabbit hole with us because we didn't realize until this moment that we didn't understand what the hell Moore is talking about. <laughs> okay, so very early she is understood to be a triple goddess, a shapeshifter, a three-part person. Her names are plentiful and they sound like her original name. And her symbol is that of a crow or a raven, which I actually already knew. Yeah, I knew that um, too. From the, Celtic, from the Celtic mythologies, if you look at it, and they talk about if you're, at, if you're at war and you're on the battlefield and you see a murder of crows or a flock of ravens, you will, like, it, it's a sign of the Morgan, that death is yeah. coming. Yeah, like, you are toast. And so maybe, by saying that she's a, a truth teller in this, I think we're kind of talking about it more of a standpoint of, you know, there's, death is a form of truth. Yeah, I suppose. I, mean, I've, I, I certainly know, know that analogy well um, in different kinds of mythology and mythological stories that get told. Yeah, but, and I guess like this big spiel, like getting back to where you left off before I cut you off and was like, explain this shit to me. I guess, I guess the whole story she's about to tell does kind of line up with like who lived, like looking at why things are the way they are because of previous like who lived who died kind of things like right. she goes into like you know basically where where we're at now because of who lived and who died last time right but i just i don't know i think it's a stretch to be like <laughs> that makes me a truth teller <laughs> like, <laughs> i mean but that's they, they say no they say her her gift is that of truth yeah which yeah. let's face it if you're you're the goddess of death yeah i guess i just um it's a definite form of truth yeah i just think we went about this a really weird way is i guess my point <laughs> Like you said, given what you just learned us today, Kim, (laughs) I mean, I already knew that for the most part, but like the lesson you just taught us 
makes a lot of this make sense in the sense of like why she's so interesting in the stories of like the war from 500 years ago and like what happens mm-hmm. like when Highburn comes like that's why her being on the battlefield is an interesting you know thing oh yeah yeah exactly and, then, and it does explain the initial fear of the queens when they realize that she is the Morgan. Well, right. But like I said, I still think while all of that is true and all that makes sense because of what you've done learned us today, <laughs> uh, it's not explained well enough in the book to me. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess that's the end of the sentence. I guess I just feel like we get yeah, a and lot I, and- of background about a lot of things. I mean, God, remember in the last book when we spent like eight pages talking about that one mercenary that we never saw again? <laughs> it's like, I know more about that mercenary than I do more at this moment. <laughs> I really do think it's going to show up in a book about more, though. It probably does. Anyway, all right, moving on. It's fine. Don't worry about it. We're talking about deaf people. Moore's going to tell us about deaf. <laughs> she's going to tell us the truth, girls. Or That's what she's saying to these queens. Let me rephrase. She continues in telling these women, so of course she's like, I am the Morgan. You know me, what I am. You know that my gift is truth, so you will hear my words now and know them as truth, as your ancestors once did. More gestures behind her, specifically to Feyre. Do you think it is any simple coincidence that a human has been made immortal again at the very moment when our old enemy resurfaces? I fought side by side with Miriam in the war, fought beside her as Jurian's ambition and bloodlust drove him mad and drove them apart. And she continues on down the story. Um, but she, she talks about Miriam and Jurian. Now remember, we all know about Jurian from the from the ring thing with the finger, the the ring and the finger bone, and the ring of the eyeball. So we all know about Jurian. You know, she talks about this history she has with these people from 500 years ago, and you know, she she kind of lays into them and. <laughs> At the end of all of this, she's like, your ancestors, those queens who signed that treaty, they were my friends. And when I look at you, I see nothing of those women in you. When I look at you, I know that your ancestors would be ashamed. And I'm just like dying. And I'm like, you go more. More does kind of reveal a little bit of information about Miriam and Draken and hmm. Not information she should have revealed. It was a secret. And as Feyre acknowledges, a secret I realized that perhaps had remained hidden for five centuries. So, whoops. But these queens had kind of pissed more off. And she just kind of started going. And, you know, when you're in the heat of the moment, the two, the, the ancient queen and the golden queen look at each other. And then they come back and the ancient queen looks at them and says, give us proof. If you are not the high lord that rumor claims, give us one shred of proof that you are, as you say, a male of peace. And Feyre has her internal monologue going, and it says, there was one way, only one way to show them, prove it to them, Valaris. My very bones cried out at the thought of revealing that gem to these 
spiders. And Reese is, he gets upset, but then he's like, you know what? Fine. You want proof? I'll get you proof. And he's like, await my word and return when we summon you. And of course, snot-nosed bitch queen, the crony one, was all, we are someone by, uh, no, it's not her. It was the golden queen. I'm sorry. The golden queen says, we are summoned by no one, human or fairy. They're like interchangeable bitches, so it's fine. This is true. And Reese is like, fine, then come at your leisure. And apparently it was enough of a bite in his tone. He um, made the guards a little nervous. And as they went to go step forward and they kind of, you know, are a little panicked, Cassie just grins at them. (laughs) And they they were like, whoops, we got to back up now. Anyway, he's like, look, this is to the best of both of our efforts. And she's like, we'll consider it once we have your proof. And then as soon as that happens, it says, the book has been ours to protect for 500 years. We will not hand it over without due consideration. The guards stand up, they flank the queens, and poof, they were gone. And the final thought that Elaine, that comes out of all this, and the final thing that happens is, and it was Elaine, Elaine, who sighed and murmured, I hope they all burn in hell. And that, my friends, is the end of the chapter. So quite little mousy Elaine does have a little bit of a backbone to her after all. Anyway, Kim takes us into 41. <laughs> We're in chapter 41. So, you know, the queens have done pissed everybody off. And everybody a little mad. Poor, poor Morgan has pretty much lost her temper. But, you know, sweet little, sweet little Elaine is the one who's like, I hope they all burn in hell. And I just love it. Um, so they were pretty quiet on their way back to Valaris, and as soon as they get back, they're at the townhouse. Amran's waiting for them, and apparently she is waiting in the townhouse. Her clothes are rumpled. Her face is unnervingly pale. So Favor makes a mental note to go get her more blood ASAP. <laughs> but instead of Catherine in the dining room, Reese just keeps walking down the hallway through the kitchen, and out into this garden. And they're all kind of standing there going, um, okay. And Amber's like, so I guess it went well. And Cassian apparently gives her this look and turns around and follows Reese. So everybody else heads out. And Reese is all quiet, and everybody's out there, and they're waiting for him to say anything. And Amber finally is like, if you're here to brood, then just say so and let me go back to my work. I truly think only Amron could have gotten away with that and not gotten, like, obliterated. And he looks up at her and he's like, the humans wish for proof of our good intentions, that we can be trusted. And, of course, Amron's like, favor wasn't good enough. And Reese responds with, she's more than enough. They're fools, worse, frightened fools. And, of course, Cassian's response, I love this. His response is, we're going to depose them. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think that's such a hot idea, dude. And Reese kind of goes into that. He's like, it's going to take too long, and then we don't know. You know, we don't, we, we don't have the time. And he's like, and we don't know how it would impact the magic of the book and who would come after them. There's all kinds of craziness. And, and then Moore's like, let me go talk to them. And Asriel's like, no. And 
you know, she, he explains to her, he's like, the palace is a death trap for our kind, built by fey hands to protect the humans from us. You set foot inside it, and you won't walk out again. Why do you think I've had such trouble getting a foothold in there? Which I find is mildly, mildly disturbing, because, wow, that's, that's kind of a creepy castle, you know? Yeah, that's an age. Just a bit. Like, I really wanted to know more about this castle now. It's kind of become, like, an oubliette of my mind that I want to learn about it. Which is a horrible, terrible hole to go falling down into. But they, they have truly sparked my curiosity. Um, so then, Favor's suggestion is, well, you know, if they want proof, what about Miriam and Draken? What if they came forward? And Reese completely, they all, they all shoot that one down. And they're like, look... For their sake, for their peace, after everything they've been through, we're not going to do that. We won't involve them. Finally, like, they start to tell bits and pieces of the story of Miriam and Juran and Draken. And Amaran, God love her, I love Amaran, she cuts in and she's like, the gist of it is that Miriam was given a wedding, given as a wedding gift by the queen of her horrible country uh, to her betrothed, a foreign prince named Draken. He was horrified, let Miriam escape. Fearing the queen's wrath, she fled through the desert across the sea and into more desert. She was found by Jurian. She fell in with his rebel armies, became his lover, and was a healer amongst the warriors until a devastating battle found her tending to Jurian's new fey allies, including Prince Draken. Turns out, Miriam had opened his eyes to the monster he had planned to wed. He broke the engagement, allied his armies with the humans, and had been looking for this girl for three years. So I just, you know, they go into this whole story, and, and it just, it's, I mean, it's nice to get the story, but it still doesn't explain the whole thing about Morgan, but again, we digress on that. So, basically what they are saying is, is that Miriam and Draken, they made it seem like they had completely disappeared and died after the war, and that isn't what happened. And by more talking about what she did in the last chapter to the Queen's, she kind of let the cat out of the bag that Miriam and Draken are still alive. And that's a big oopsie. But Reese's response is, in addition to not proving a thing about my character, which seems to be their biggest gripe, it would be a betrayal to our friends. They only want to remain hidden and live in peace. So anyway, they're all like, okay, so what do we do? What do we offer them? How do we do this? Like, we've got to figure something out. Of course, Reese's response is, we're going to show them Valaris. And, of course, everybody's like, you can't bring them here. And he's like, no, no, no. There's a way to show them. Playing by their own rules. And Reese says to Moore, send word to your father. We're going to pay him a visit in my other court. We're going to pay him in my other court a visit. So, apparently, whatever it is they're going to use is there. And we get a little snowflake. And you find out there's an orb. It turned out that it had belonged to Moore's family for a millennia, the Veritas. It was rife with the truth magic she'd claimed to possess that many in her bloodline also bore. And the Veritas was one of the most valued and guarded talismans, and it was kept in the Hewn City. So they had to go to the Court of Nightmares to get it, but that meant that a large portion of people in the court have to go because, in the inner circle have to go because well, they got to distract these people. They make plans. 
But apparently the whole plan. They make a whole, whole plan. <laughs> but apparently Farrah continues and she's explaining she's like the orb was apparently known by, by the humans and had been wielded by them in the war. And the queens would know it and they would know that it was the truth, not an illusion or a trick, when they used it to show them, like peering into a live painting, that this city and the good people existed. So now we know how they're going to do it. They're going to use this orb, the Veritas, which in Latin means truth. And they, they've just been talking about this, and Reese had started to explain a lot of this to, to Favre at dinner. It was just the two of them in the townhouse. And everybody was, you know, off making plans for how they're going to get the Veritas, how they're going to do all this. And after dinner, Farrah's like, she just needs to walk. She needs to get out. So she goes to walk, and she realizes that that Reese was definitely preoccupied because he didn't even tell her, be careful or anything. So she's like, all right, he's either really preoccupied, he really trusts the people in the city or something, because, okay. And she's wandering through the town, through the city. It's not even town. She's literally wandering through the city of Alaris. And she finds herself across the river from the Rainbow, the artist's quarter. And she acknowledges she's been here almost two months. So here's a time marker, people. She has been in Valaris now for almost two months. And she still hasn't worked up the courage to walk through the artist's quarter. And Feyre is really coming to grips with the fact that Reese is willing to risk this beautiful place, these amazingly talented, beautiful people, to try to convince the queens to help them. And she she just kind of keeps, you know, thinking and looking and walking and she stops again. She's looking at the rainbow and she, this is what goes through in her internal monologue. And, and this is really important because remember, she's looking at the rainbow. It's the artist's quarter. And she said, I shook my head, clearing my thoughts as I again stared down the main street of the rainbow. I'd felt flickers these past few weeks in that hole inside my chest. Flickers of images but nothing solid, nothing roaring with life and demand, not in the way that it had that night, seeing him kneel on that bed, naked and tattooed and winged. And so she's refusing to walk into the, she, she, she's mentally psyching herself out to not go to the rainbow because she doesn't, she doesn't wanna fall in love with it and then have it taken away from her for some reason which I guess I can understand with everything she's been through. So she decides, that's it. I'm just going to go back home. So she gets home and Reese meets her in the foyer. And he's standing there leaning against the banister. And Farrah's like, what's going on? He's like, this can't be good. <laughs> I'm looking at your face and it can't be good. And he's like, I'm debating asking you to stay tomorrow. And Farrah's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought I was going. And she's mentally thinking, don't lock me up in the house. Don't put me to the side. Like, she's, she's mentally starting to freak out a little that he's going to do to her what Tamlin did. And then he stops her and he goes, look, what I have to be tomorrow, who I have to become is not, it's not something I want you to see. How I will treat you, treat others. And she's like, the mask of the high lord 
And he goes, yes. And Favor's like, well, why don't you want me to see that? And his response kind of breaks my heart a little. I don't know about you, Kelsey, but it really kind of gets mine. Because he goes, you've only just started to look at me like I'm not a monster. And I can't stomach the idea of anything you see tomorrow being beneath that mountain, putting you back in that place where I found you. Yeah. I just feel for this dude because Tamlin, like, broke her in such a way that he, like, knows he can't really ask her to stay behind because he knows that's going to be, like, traumatizing to her. Mm -hmm. But that's, like, the point he's trying to make, which is, like, basically I need you to pick between two traumatizing options. (laughs) Like, he's in a shit position. He's like, I can either tell you to stay home and then you'll be mad at me, or I can basically take you back to this horrendous time in your life and you'll be mad at me. So those are our options. Dude, I can't win. I actually can't. Yeah, I just, I do feel for him. And he's like, he tells her, he goes, well, the role you're going to have to play is not a pleasant one. And she finally looks at him and she goes, I trust you. And then Farrah asks, why was more so upset when she left? There's the loaded $50,000 question. Let me tell you, boys and girls, because we find out some of Moore's backstory. But in fairness, the really cute part is she sits down and holds his hand first, and she's like, I try not to think about the fact that he's just, like, holding it back. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) Then she's like, so more. (laughs) Pretty much. And we do find out some of Moore's backstory, and her, her father's a real asshole. He sold her off to the eldest son of the High Lord of the Autumn Court. And apparently this dude has a reputation for being really cruel and being a total ass. And Moore begged Reese to save her and not let that happen. So Reese snuck her out and took her up to an Illyrian war camp where she sees Cassian. And decides right then and there she knows exactly what she's going to do to make sure that everything happens in such a way that she can't be sold off in marriage to Eris. So, she and Cassian have a one-night boom-chicka-wow-wow night. She loses her virginity, which completely, in the eyes of her family, devalues her. I love how, you know, whether you're a virgin or not is considered of value. And, anyway, it's a long story. I just like how this is even, like, okay, my brain can't even comprehend how this is, like, a thing in a world where you're fucking immortal. True. Like, so... Like, how how long do most people hold out, you know? (laughs) What's the point? I don't understand. But not only that. Like, congratulations, you are a virgin for, like, the first 20 of 5,000 years. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't understand. How old are you? 500 years old? When did you lose your virginity? When I was 20? Like, what the, like, who the fuck cares? Exactly. Yeah, there is that. But what I find interesting is, remember, we bitched and complained so much about how backwards the spring court is. And yet, we're finding out part of the night court is just as fucked up and backwards. And it appears, from all signs, that the autumn court isn't really much better. And why do I say that? Because Eris broke off the engagement because he said that Morgan had sullied herself and that he would now sooner fuck a cow. And her family in retaliation dumped her 
on the Autumn Court border with a note nailed to her body and said that she was Eris's problem. And Fear was like, they nailed a note, nailed a note to her body. Holy crap. And apparently Eris, being the ever so loving and charming gentleman that he is, left her for dead in the middle of the woods as founder. And it was literally apparently all Reese could do to go to keep himself from going to both the Autumn Court and to the Hewn City and like misting everybody. Not that I blame him because I, I, I would say it's kind of justified. Yeah, like, thank you. So, you know, Feyre has some interesting thoughts about this. She's like, I thought of that merry face, the flippant laughter, the female that did not care who approved. Perhaps because she had seen the ugliest her kind had to offer and had survived. So I love how we do get this part of the story. Like, when, if this goes back to when, when Moore frees Feyre from the manor house, you know, she, she comes and gets her. What does, for, what does Moore say to Feyre? She does not say, you're safe. She keeps repeating, you are free. And we know that that's what Feyre needed to hear because she'd been locked up. But at the same time, because of this, we now find out that Moore really genuinely really does understand how come it is so important for that freedom and to not have your freedom taken away and not have your freedoms of choice and other things taken away from you. And so I kind of like how we get that little bit of insight into Moore's personality and psyche. And, you know, it also gives favor some insight into Reese and why he does not like her sister and why he cannot let go of the anger that she has for um, her failings where favor is concerned. And, um, you know, it starts to make favor really angry and she can feel the fire burning and she has to calm oh, herself down. Just oh, me, and she takes Reese's hand, which is so sweet, because they're sitting next to each other on the sofa. I mean, on the sofa, on the stairs. Sorry, guys. Woo. And, you know, he, he starts thump, brushing his thumb against the back of her hand, which is kind of distracting Feyre. And she's well, like... cute because she's, like, distracted because she's realizing that this, like, basically, like, the way I interpret what she's saying is she realizes, like, this feels too normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this should feel weird and it doesn't. <laughs> this feels normal. This feels right. And anyway, she looks at, she looks at Reese and she's like, tell me what I got to do. And that's the end of the chapter, boys and girls. Oh, I wish she had to do with the whole thing. <laughs> boy, does she. Oh, boy, is this a whole thing. And I want to point out, it's a whole thing. And they do discuss it. We just don't read about it until it's happening. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Hang on, people. <laughs> there are some idiots on the internet. <laughs> All I got to say to this is hang on, hold on to your britches. Buckle up, keep your hands inside the vehicle at all times while it's in motion. Yeah, because it's going to be a wild-ass ride. All right. Again, this episode is a two-parter. So, no songs today. They'll be included at the end of episode seven, part two. And 
And in the meantime, you can still follow us on all the things. Remember, there are two A's in all of the things, like Sarah J. Mass's name, you know, Massive Fans, you're getting the concept. So, website, MassiveFanBookClub.com, Facebook at Massive Fans Book Club and Podcast, Twitter at Massive Podcast, Instagram at Massive Fans Podcast, Pinterest at Massive Fans. Also, I updated our Pinterest page and we have more fun uh, fan art on there and we have funny memes on there. And yeah, so go check it out. And on TikTok, Massive Fan Pod. So, guess that's it. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.